Good morning. God's grace and peace are ours in 2017, just like all the past years of our life. And we'll look at his word today to be encouraged to step into the new year. Amen. Do you have a person in your past or in your present that would or does when they step into your life, like come to be where you are? No matter how overwhelmed you were, you get a calmness just by their presence because of what and who they represent for you. When I was a little boy, it was my dad. When I was in college, there was a guy named Mark that was an upperclassman and was a Christian. And if he was around, all of the things that I worried about just went down and down. I could feel my, my pulse even get smaller. In his lifetime, while he was an apostle, I believe that the apostle Paul had that effect on a lot of people. But it wasn't because... Paul was so big by himself. God had made Paul bigger than life. Nobody can do that by themselves except for Jesus Christ. But with Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life, he can make you bigger than the life that's around you, the life that you live. And looking at 2017... That's what I want you to think about, is anything that you might be concerned about, anything that you might be challenged by, you would look into God's Word today and let Him give you what He wants you to have to make you bigger than that challenge. So you can say hello to 2017 with optimism and courage and encouragement as a Christian woman or man. Let me talk about the Apostle Paul just a little bit more. You can read about his travels in the book of Acts. That's what's really fun about the Bible. There's all of these letters in the New Testament that he wrote, but they're to places that you can read about he went to and how that relationship started with the people of that place in the book of Acts. So if you read the book of Acts and you read about Paul traveling, then later he would write them letters and you could read the letter that followed after the trip. Well, he went to Philippi in his second great missionary journey, and he started a church there. And I'm going to shorten that part of the story. He got himself thrown into prison with Silas, and it was bad. They didn't put him in prison to hold him for a punishment. They punished him and then put him into prison that day. And the punishment was beating them mercilessly. And they had wounds, and they had pain, bruises, and cuts. But they didn't do anything to doctor them. They went and chained them to a wall in the prison in Philippi. You and I would call that a traumatic experience. And those in mental health in America would start wanting to treat us for post-traumatic stress syndrome. Paul and Silas were singing songs and hymns that night. Praising God and filled with God. They were bigger than a life. God rescued them that night. There was an earthquake. The jailer that kept the jail had fallen asleep out front. The earthquake shook the foundations of the jail so the walls cracked. The doors wouldn't stay shut or locked. The chains had fallen off the wall as the mortar cracked. And Paul and Silas were free and so was everybody else. And the jailer was asleep. He was awakened by the earthquake. He thought everybody had left when he saw the the chain, the door ajar. And so he would be put to death by Roman law for letting people, prisoners go. And so he was going to kill himself. Paul could see 
somehow through the doors that the jailer was pulling his sword out and putting it in his chest. And Paul said, don't, we're all still here. And the jailer knew that Paul was bigger than life. And he said, I want what you have. And Paul said, well, what I have is Jesus. And the jailer said, well, I want Jesus. And Paul told him the gospel that Jesus had come to save us and he is in our life and he's with us always. And he forgives us our sins and he's promised us heaven in his name. And the jailer believed that. He took Paul to his house that night and then he did what he normally would never do. He washed their wounds. He fed them. And Paul gave them baptism. And it was a, it's a real beautiful story. Bigger than life story. And then Paul went on to other travels and he got himself arrested again in Jerusalem. And he ends up on this long, it's all in the book of Acts, journey through harrowing experiences over four years. And he ends up in Rome and he's awaiting trial before Caesar himself. And if Caesar is either going to free him or put him to death. And Paul's waiting. But they would not put him in a dungeon and spend their money on him. They said, you're chained to a guard and you get to rent your own house. And he didn't have a job. So he depended on the gifts of churches. And the Philippians vimmoed him some money. No, you couldn't do that. But they sent him money. They sent it through Epaphroditus, a guy that they sent to Rome. And Paul wanted to thank the Philippians for the gift. But he wanted to give the Philippians the gift of insight about how Jesus made him bigger than life because Jesus wants to make every Christian bigger than life. Jesus wanted to make the Philippians bigger than life, and their life was pretty hard too because they were being persecuted. So Paul writes this letter, and 16 times he talks about having joy in the Lord and not just in your circumstances because circumstances fluctuate. And he said, have joy in the Lord. And then he says in this little section of chapter 4, Three things that I believe as a pastor are great insights on how to face a new year. And that's the background of why I picked Philippians chapter 4 to talk about how do you face a new year. Paul, from a bad spot, teaches us how to have a good spot in your heart as you face the future. So read the first verse with me that's up on the screen. This is from chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Remember I said he, he talked about joy 16 times? He knows he's repeating himself. So he actually just says, I'm going to say it again. I know I am. Rejoice in the Lord. And what's really curious is that right in the middle of this verse, he talks about gentleness. Rejoice in the Lord be gentle, the Lord is near. Hmm. What's that about? Well, the Lord is near seems to be the reason that we can be gentle. And any pastors that have written about this over the years as they studied it have, have talked about the nearness of God in two ways, and they're both true. The first one is, God is in the room with you. Remember how I started today about someone calming you by being in the room? What did Jesus say in the last words of Matthew's gospel? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That was his whole point. Mantra for their lives as he left and ascended into heaven. I will still be with you. When I'm with you, you can be calm. And when you're calm, you won't give way to anger. So just in preparation for this today, 
I googled anger and anxiety. Oh, there's hundreds of articles about how anxiety leads to anger. As we fear and get frustrated and want to control things about the things we're afraid of, we can strike out in anger to try to fix it, make it right, or just be uncontrollably upset. And Paul said it 2,000 years ago, the Lord is near, so be gentle. He's in the room. He's got this. I don't know if you've ever seen it or experienced it in a family, but, but when there's a healthy family and the, and the children in the family are fighting and dad walks into the room, first of all, there's a little family fear, filial fear, that he's going to get control of this and I might get in trouble. But there's also a calmness because dad makes things right for everyone. And so the kids can immediately stop contending and start being more gentle because dad's got this. He's going to make it right. God has got it. He's going to make it right. The second way the pastors will say the Lord is near is he's near to ending the world and coming back and taking us to heaven where everything's fixed, which is also true, right? So today could be the end of the world. So what's that thing you've been fretting about, upset about, angry about? If today's the end of the world, what does it matter if it's all going to be made right? You see how that calms you down? He's with us, and he's near to the end of time. So relax. That's how you face 2017. What are you worried about? God's got it. That's, that's what he wants us to think as we head forward. Okay, so I got worries. The end of the world hasn't come. The year may completely play out, and I'm bothered by some things that are happening and others that could happen. What do I do with my concerns? Have you ever thought or said or had someone say to you, well, at least you can pray? Thinking, you know, I can't think of anything else to do, so at least you can pray. No, the most and first thing Paul says to do is pray, not the least, and it's a real action. It's not just some passive dribble out of your worrisome heart as you go in your rocking chair worried about everything. Let's read this verse together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you head into the passage here at the first verse, you maybe don't at first think about needing to have your heart and mind guarded. But if you think about your anxieties, and some of you have experienced it more than others, remember how when you're anxious, how vulnerable you feel in soul and body? It feels like all the walls are torn down and that anyone and anything bad can get at you? and you just feel closed in and overwhelmed, you want to be guarded and protected, and you feel vulnerable. Well, this is what Paul says to do when you're feeling that way. Present your concern to God in specific prayers. What makes the idea genius that Chad was sharing with the kids is that by writing it on a slip of paper and dropping it in a jar, you train yourself by behavioral therapy to actually do what God is saying here. 
Because we tend to listen to this and then we don't really do it. We just, we worry and think that our worry is a prayer. We just worry in front of God. But actually, true prayer is specifically, formally making a request to God about the thing you're concerned about and letting go because God's got it. The best example I see in the Bible is Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the wedding at Cana. I I refer to it often. I'm going to refer to it now. Remember the wedding? It's in John 2, where Jesus is at a wedding where his mother is there and a few of his disciples. And the wedding was similar to ours. You have the ceremony and then you have this big banquet. And his mother wanted it to be as wonderful as any family member would want it to be. And in the middle of the banquet, they ran out of wine. Now, she knows Jesus pretty well. He's her son. She's pretty close, and she knows he loves her. And she thinks, well, I know God personally. I got this. She goes over to Jesus, and she says, they have no more wine. Now, some guys... That would not be enough. You'd have to ask them to make the wine. But for Jesus, he understood feminine hints. They have no more wine, i.e., make some wine, son, please, and save the banquet. And he says to her, Jesus never sinned. Something that's very abrupt and sounds almost rude, and it sounds ruder in the original. Woman, what you to me? We translate it, what does this have to do with me? In other words, Mary, this is not the way that I do miracles, is that the mother comes up and tells me that I need to do a miracle. That's between God the Father and me. What did Mary do? Oh, well, I guess I can't even ask you something. Never mind that I gave you 30 years of care in my home. Right? No, not passive-aggressive. What does she do? She turns to the people that run the banquet and she says, I think with a twinkle in her eye, do whatever he tells you. She knew he had listened and she knew he would do the right thing because she had given God a special prayer request in living color and she was going to let go. And if Jesus would have said, give them all water, that's what I want them to have, She was done worrying about it. She was done. She thought it should have more wine to be a good banquet. But if Jesus thought it should have more water to be a good banquet, well, then he was right. And she was wrong. And she could accept that. And so she let go. That's the picture of prayer. You worry about it. You tell God what it ought to be. He may even need to rebuke you a little bit. But he listens. This is the most beautiful condescending thing that he does for us he listens to sinners who are his family and jesus is your brother it says so in the bible he made himself our brother he's we're not his mother like mary but we're family and we can go to jesus and say my car needs fixing i need a health an answer to my health problem Uh, I, i want this problem to be solved lord and we give it to him in 2017 and we let go and what will happen 
a, a peace that you cannot explain logically that passes all understanding will come in and guard your heart and soul the way you long for it so you won't have that vulnerable feeling because you prayed about it. It's the best thing you can do, not the least, is to pray, to be a true prayer person and make those specific requests to your God who's listening with thanksgiving because he listens to you. Sinner that you are because you are a believer in his son. Be thankful and pray. Let's go to the next one. Paul says, finally, for the record, he has about 20 more verses. So when we preachers say finally, it's kind of a, a yellow light, not a red light. <laughs> right? He says, finally. But it's, his finally is, he knows he's giving us a list on how to face life. So I'm using it for how to face the new year. So he says, finally, out of my list, this is my third point, that's what he means. Okay? He doesn't mean finally I'm about to stop writing or talking. So finally, this is my third point. Let's read this one. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's an imperative at the end. It's written to people like you and me who are sinners. You can control your thoughts better than you think you can. You can train yourself to think better about your life and about life. That's important. There's a you know, I have four boys, but there's a few women in our life as a family now as they get their intended others. We're together for the Christmas holidays, and we watched some Hallmark movies. I like them because of this. There's not all that cussing and bad scenes that I don't need to be watching anyway, and they usually have a pretty sweet ending, right? Just about always live happily ever after. But even the Hallmark films, because they're made mainly about human reason and human relationships and love and feelings, they tend to end with this profound, I call it the profound, shallow message that you must follow your heart and be happy. We don't follow our hearts. We lead them. If you follow your heart, it'll drive you right into a ditch, usually. Because Jesus said your heart is, what? Full of all kinds of sin and problems. We know that. So you want to lead your heart. But you can't lead your heart without help because you're not big enough. You're that lost by nature, right? One of the most unnatural things for a human being to do is to, is to let God lead them. We tend to want to lead ourselves, but we'll lead ourselves off the track. But you lead your heart with God's help in the right direction. So Paul says, whatever is what? Beautiful, praiseworthy, wonderful, positive. Think on these things. Now, this is a guy who's in, under house arrest 
after four years of incarceration that was very difficult, that may be put to death at the end, in a very troubled society that doesn't want the spread of Christianity to upset the Roman peace, and he knows that life is tough. This is a guy suffering who says, every day there's a way to think, and it's not to think through all the bad stuff all the time. So take a vacation, or if it's just a one-day thing, a recess or a break from your negative, mulling over everything that's bad or could be bad, and think about the beautiful thoughts. And you need help, and when you need help, go to God. And I'm not talking about prayer now. That was the last part I'm talking about, the written Word of God. Go to God's Word and ask what insight is there about the things that are bugging me and think about those insights like heaven. And that's always a good one. Heaven is a gift. It's real. We're going there. It's the resolution of all things. You get to think about it. Meditate on it. Forgiveness. Last night we ripped up our sins and put them in the shredder. And we put everybody else's in the shredder, too. We were thinking about good thoughts instead of the bad thoughts, right? Whatever negative thinking you are struggling with, lead your heart away from it. It's your job. God has given you the ability to do it. He'll train you, and you can get better at it. Uh, there is a friend of mine named Eric Roberson who is a doctor. Uh, he's, a, he's a member of one of our churches now. It's out east. But he, and he's about in his mid-40s. And he is a doctor in research at a medical uh, university. And he does brain-based research. And he said in his research of lab rats, they're, they're, they're seeing pathways by rats, their, their habits running through the cage, pathways in their brain through the little probes they put on them that get like ruts and that the rat gets used to habitual behavior. And so when a certain thought is introduced to the rat, they'll go into the same response based on the ruts. And he said, you can train your brain to have new ruts, but it takes time. And God 2,000 years ago said what? Train your brain to think whatever is praiseworthy, beautiful, admirable, noble, godly thinking. That's the way to face 2017. So preachers share a lot like you'd share with your friends. So I was sharing with a pastor in Kansas that's a friend of mine about these thoughts for today. And he gave me a one-liner I want to share with you. Oh, you know what? Before that... I forgot something I wanted to share because I think it'll make it sticky. Have you ever heard of the story find, that has the punchline, find the pony? Okay. Raise your hand if you haven't. <gasps> Permission to tell it again. <laughs> so there's a boy and girl. They were little in their parents' home, and they started in October to do the brain drain on their parents for Christmas presents. They made an agreement, a, a pact, that since they lived on three or four acres of land, that they were going to get their parents to buy them a pony. And they didn't want anything else. And so they told their parents when they asked, what do you want for Christmas? We want a pony. You both want a pony? Yeah, just one pony. We'll ride it together. We just want a pony. Well, what else do you want? We want a pony. And then they drained them. Want a pony, want a pony, want a pony. And they came to Christmas morning, and they ran down the stairs, 
and they knew it probably wouldn't be in the house, and their parents said, look outside. So they ran outside, and there was pony poo everywhere all over the yard. And the little girl was prone in her brain path to be negative, and she just fell in a heap, started crying. There's nothing but pony poo. What a cruel joke mom and dad did. They went and got a bunch of pony poo and put it in our yard, and there's no pony. And the little boy's excited, and he's running around the yard, checking around the corners. And she goes, what are you doing? And he goes, I figure if there's that much poo here, there's got to be a pony somewhere. So you know the point is in your life? Find the pony. You got pony poo around, there's going to be a pony in it. Now let's sanctify that a little bit. (laughs) Joseph in the Old Testament, think of all the pony poo he had, right? And then what? God gave him a pony. David running from Saul. God gave him a pony, became king. Abraham and Sarah, 25 years waiting for, right? God gave him a pony. Look for the pony. The Apostle Paul, right? Silas with him, pony, pony, pony. So the positive thought is God's working his good. Find the pony in what you're going through. Now back to the conclusion, my friend's quote. After sharing all these things with him, he gave me a one-liner that I want to share with you. It's really awesome. He said, amen. This is an email. Amen. I am dead to everything un-God. I can step forward into the new year, new in Jesus. I'll say it one more time. This is his, his words. Amen to this sermon text and all these thoughts. Amen. I am dead to everything un-God. I'm new in Jesus and can step forward into the new year, a free man. That's how to say hello to 2017.